Friends, keep an image of these kids in your mind and of these little babies you see around, because we're going to be talking a lot today about birth and new life. So um, one of the main themes in the Gospel of John is that we are children of God. So we're going to be talking a lot about what it is to be a child of God. So keep those, um, those precious faces in your mind. But before we start, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks to us truths that are miraculous, that give us peace and joy and life beyond what we could ever comprehend. Enlighten us now to, uh, to receive this good news that we might have joy and peace in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've been thinking a lot lately about, about birth and new life. Because you see, we have a new neighbor who just gave birth to a baby boy on Friday night. We've been on call, you know, to take care of their toddler if he should come. So we've been eagerly anticipating this for for weeks. And these neighbors, they moved in this summer when mom was just about three to four months pregnant. So the whole time we've known them and formed this relationship with them, most of our conversations have focused on new life, on the new life forming within her on the birth that would come, on the little one that would move from the dark womb into the big, bright, beautiful world. But the conversations didn't stop there. Because, you see, she has a two-year-old and we have a one-year-old, so most of the time we were talking about what happens after that as these little ones discover this big, beautiful world they have been born into usually as they were digging into our yards and tearing up our houses. Um, Discovery is great, right? And messy. So all along these past several months, we have been talking almost daily as we see them about this new life process from forming to birth to growth and discovery every day from there on out. And in these conversations, I've realized how brilliant God is and giving us the imagery of birth and new life to explain how it is that we come to faith and experience life in the kingdom of God. For God has chosen an imagery that is common to us all. No matter who you are, where you come from, what your experiences are, if you've paid any attention at all in life, any attention, you know something about birth and new life. Because you've all been through it. I'm going to tell you that. You've all been through it. And then most of us have watched it happen. Whether a, a person or even an animal be pregnant and give birth and then watch those little ones grow up. So God, when God chooses to reveal to us the mysteries of birth and life in the spiritual kingdom of God, he uses an imagery that we can all relate to. And this is good because spiritual birth and new life, it's something that many of us have experienced. It's something that many of us want others to experience. And yet, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just have a hard time getting words to express it, right? It's sometimes hard to find words to express this wondrous mystery that seems beyond human comprehension. So Jesus helps us out. He gives us this common imagery, the imagery of birth. 
But now I'm just going to let Jesus speak for himself. If you're following in your pew Bibles, um, I invite you to turn to chapter 3 in the Gospel of John. It's page 863 or in your own Bibles. This morning we'll be reading verses 1 to 21, which record a conversation that Jesus has with a Jewish leader named Nicodemus. So before we read, let us pray. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our single concern. Amen. So hear now the word of the Lord from John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil." For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. So this is is a meaty passage, but I expect there are some verses you recognized. Anyone recognize anything in this text? Yes? Maybe? A couple? So this passage, it contains two of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. John 3.16, of course, and then a close second is John 3.3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. 
So this conversation with Nicodemus, it is, it is packed. It is, it is meaty. If we're to compare scripture passages with meals, this is like a sirloin steak dinner. There's no fluffy dinner rolls, no light appetizers or salads. It is thick and meaty. You can chew on it for a long, 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 long time. And I encourage you to do so. But this morning, we don't have time to chew on every verse. So to give you a heads up, we're just going to bite off a couple chunks and just chew on those. Particularly, we're going to chew on verses 3 and 5. Being born from above and being born of water and spirit. So we're going to consider what does Jesus mean by these phrases. Being born from above, being born of water and spirit. How is this good news to us? So to see, see why, why we want to unpack this, I, I want to start by saying that I have a hunch that these phrases probably mean some very different things to people even in this room. For example, have you overheard or been engaged in a conversation like this ever before? So one Christian asked another Christian, have you been born again? To which, by which the person is asking, have you had a conversion experience? And Christian number two says, well, I was raised a Christian, and I was baptized as an infant. I, I, w- I was raised a Christian. And then Christian one looks at Christian two and is like, oh. And, and they just stand there and look at each other and, like, don't know how to move forward with this conversation. And, and maybe one or both are wondering, like, are you really a Christian? I, I don't get it. And, it's, there's this standstill, right? Even between people of the same faith, there's this big confusion over these phrases. So for a few minutes, I, I want to help us see where this confusion kind of came from. How did it come to be? Not in order to create division, but to help us understand where these strands come from, that Christians can have some different views on this. And then second, I'm going to show us what a better way forward, what might be in those conversations that get stuck. So I, I, I hope this is helpful to you because we've, we've heard it a lot, um, this confusion over this. So, so I want to give you a brief history. So, so historically in the church, born of water and spirit was seen as a reference to Christian baptism. So the early church fathers, they consistently interpreted this phrase to refer to the Spirit's work through the church in the sacrament of baptism. And baptism was a sign and seal of this person's adoption into God's family. And that could happen as an infant that you're adopted. It can happen as an adult if you learn of the faith later. Um, It was just a sign of this adoption into the family. That didn't mean that you didn't need to make a public profession. At some point, if you were adopted into the family as as a baby, at some point later, you would make a public profession that says, I believe this gospel that I've been raised in. Um, But born of water and spirit was a sign to this baptism. And then profession of faith was just a profession that I, I, I believe this that I've been born into. But not a conversion experience, right? Because they had been raised in this gospel truth. So that's, that's one way of understanding it. But, but then in the 1960s, there was a revival movement that started in the United States, the evangelical revival movement, and that's when the phrase born-again Christian came out. Um, and they picked up on, on John 3.3, 3, 
and really emphasized that you needed to have a conversion experience. No matter where you came from, what, um, what your background was, everyone needed to have a conversion experience so that there would be this definitive moment when you accept Jesus and there's, there's two phases of your life, before I was a Christian and after I was a Christian. So that's, that's kind of the emphasis in the born-again movement. Now, again, I tell you all of this not to, not to like, take sides or make judgments, but to give you the history. That's the legit history of why we have these cross wires. Some traditions hold to the historic view, and some hold to the, the revival, um, evangelical revival view. So um, that's kind of how that came to be. Does that make sense? Has anyone had these kind of conversations? Am I the only one who enters into these crosswire conversations? Anyone? <laughs> okay, so so that's, that's some of that. But then we need to look at this text. Because um, you might be wondering again, after we read our text... How did we get the phrase born, born again? Um, we didn't read that in our text. But it, it can be read that way. And the, inner, the, the King James Version does translate it that way. So the word is anathen. And anathen has a double meaning. So it can mean from above or again. So Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born anathen which means either from above or again. And this is why Nicodemus gets so confused. He understands it to mean only again, and only literally again, physically again. That's why he wonders, can I re-enter my mother's womb? But Jesus, in the way that Jesus always does, invites him to, to see beyond what he already had in mind. Jesus invites him to expand his understanding to see from above and again in a different light, a different light than he had already had in his mind. So this is this is where some of the confusion comes from for Nicodemus and for for us today. This word anathen and what Jesus means by it. But that's, that's the history of it and some of the text of it. But now let's get to the important question of how do we, how do we move forward together in unity? How do we get those stuck conversations unstuck? And the answer we see that Jesus gives Nicodemus is that we shift our focus. We shift our focus away from us and, and our experience and what we're doing toward God. And what God is doing. So this is what Jesus is encouraging Nicodemus to do. You see, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee and a leader of the Jews. This would have meant that he would have been an expert in the kingdom of God. It was Nicodemus who was telling people what the kingdom looked like, who was included, what you had to do to get there. And if Nicodemus was anything like the other Pharisees, a lot of that had to focus on human things like coming from the right family, a descendant of Abraham, by doing the right things, meticulously following all the rules set out by the leaders. Also, it was people like Nicodemus who were first in the kingdom in the way that he understood it. But as we're going to see next week, Jesus blows that out of the water when he meets a Samaritan woman at the well, someone who would have been on the lowest rung of society in Nicodemus's eyes 
is invited into the kingdom in an equal way that Nicodemus is. So Jesus is blowing open his vision of the kingdom. So Jesus, he comes along and says, Nicodemus, I invite you to a completely different world view. The kingdom is not about who you are and what you do to get there. It's not something you achieve. The way you enter the kingdom is to receive it. To receive what God has done for you. It's not about you, but about God. You get born into the kingdom. You get born into the kingdom. It's first about God. For God so loved the world that God gave his one and only son. It is that initiative of God. It is that free, unmerited gift that engenders faith and belief that makes our new life possible. And that is what is so jaw-droppingly difficult for Nicodemus to comprehend. That it's not about his protocol of knowing exactly what rules he's supposed to follow and what he's supposed to do, but it's about God and what God is doing. For it is God who births us to new life. So exactly how, how does this happen? How does the Spirit of God birth us to new life? Well, Jesus seems to indicate that there's no cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all method. For as Jesus says in verse 8, the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So to help explain this, let's return to our imagery of childbirth. Don't worry, I'm not going to give, like, graphic imagery of childbirth. We're just going to talk about the process, not the details, don't worry. So birth, as some of you probably know, it can happen in a variety of ways, right? Some babies are born at home, some in a birthing center, some in a hospital, some come through the help of a midwife, others with a doctor, others by a brave and talented spouse, perhaps, if they're risky enough to do that. Some are born via C-section, some come within minutes, some take days, Lillian Claire. Hmm. Some come right on their due date as you expect them. Others come weeks or months before. Some come weeks after. There doesn't seem to be a one-size-fit-all protocol for childbirth. But there are two things that are always consistent in childbirth. You can always count on. There's a new life that has been formed by God. And there is a mother. You need those two things, the new life, the baby, and a mother. Everything else, kind of, it can vary. So this is the same in our spiritual lives. So I invite you to turn in your bulletin, the insert there. There's a, in the Living the Word section, there's a really famous quote by um, a guy named St. Cyprian. He was from the 3rd century. He was a bishop. And he says, no one can have God as father who does not, does not have the church as mother. No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. So as in, as in physical birth, our spiritual birth has two things that are consistent. A new life formed by God, given by God the father, and two, a, a mother that God 
implants this life in a mother, the church, and that mother is called to form and birth and grow that life. And that mother is the church. So, so let's expand on this. Let's, let's play this out, what this might look like. So let's consider how a physical baby forms within the mother and see how it is that God forms new life of Christians. So God grows a baby within the mother's womb, right? But it's, it's not the mother's work. She's not actually multiplying cells, forming the baby's organs. And yet the work is impossible without her. God uses her body for his miraculous work of forming this life. And this, this body protects the baby and feeds the baby and nurtures the baby while they're being formed. Maybe the mother doesn't even know at first that God is doing this within her, but eventually signs of that new life appear, right? And it's not always easy for the mother. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable, but there's immense joy and honor to be used by God for this miracle. Now, friends, take that idea and translate it to the church, to God's people. God uses us, his people, through everyday conversations, everyday acts of service, through our worship, preaching of the word, the sacraments. God uses these ordinary things as his womb to grow new life, to help others develop into the life of faith. The spirit works through ordinary Christians like us, to grow new life. It's God's work. It's not something that we are doing, but we have an indispensable role to play. It is the church that protects the new life, that feeds the life, that nurtures it. And then when the time is right, that new life is born from the confined darkness into the bright, open world around it. In our spiritual lives, this is when a person is moved from darkness to light into understanding the kingdom of God and to belief that, yes, God has been doing this work, and I, I believe this, that God has brought new life through the Son, Jesus Christ. That is the, the, um, the analogy there. But the point is that the baby doesn't take credit for this, Right? It's not the baby who formed himself who said, I think I'm going to jump in there and make myself be born, right? They, they don't do that. They don't birth themselves. Rather, it's the Spirit of God who forms them. It's God's idea. And the mother, empowered by the Spirit, who has protected and nurtured and then labors to bring them out. And that is what it is with our faith lives. It is the Spirit who forms our new life. And the mother, the church, that help to labor to move us from darkness to light. Friends, all of this is, is not something we earn or achieve. We are born. We are born not of our own will, but by water and spirit. It is God who births us to new life through the church. And while our birth is significant, it's not all that there is. So one theologian talks about how, when, with all these debates about, about birth and born again and whatever, he, he just steps back and says, okay, how silly would it be if we all framed our birth certificates and put them on our walls, and that's all we ever talked about with people? Like, hey, look, I was born. I was born. And then you just talk about your birth experience. And our birth experience is really important. 
but it's not the same for everyone. And it's not really the point that you were born, but it's that you're alive. Like, look, you're alive. That's, that's miraculous. And if one Christian were to say to another, oh, you were born at, at home, that doesn't count. Are, are you sure you're alive? Because C-sections in the hospital are the only legitimate way to be born. Did you know that? No, if we did that with one another, it'd be silly. It's like, no, I, I see you, you're alive. We were both born, maybe differently, maybe at different stages of life, but we're here and we're alive. It's the same way if, with my neighbor. If I would have only, if we only talked about Lillian's birth or Jack's birth and didn't talk about their continuing life as one and two-year-olds, what they're growing and learning in the, in the kingdom and in the world, that would, that would be silly to just focus there. So the reality is, the way that many of us were born kind of depends on who our mother was, right? What her preferences and circumstances were. And so it is with us. Some of us, our mother church, the church in which the Spirit formed and birthed us, was a church that practiced infant baptism. For some, it was a church that did adult baptism. The point isn't exactly how we were born. That should not divide us as Christians. The point is that we're alive, and we are siblings, and we are alive in this family together, not because of what we've done, but by the miracle of God forming our life and bringing us into his family. Does that make sense? But it keeps going. After we're born, the journey's not over. There's a lot of growing to do, a lot to learn about this big, beautiful world we've been born into. It's not that after birth, we're left on our own. We don't take a baby that was born and says, okay, you've been born. Now you should know everything to do, and you should be fine on your own. So we're just going to set you over here by yourself. That's, that would be silly, right? No, the, the baby's mother is still vital. The mother continues to feed and nurture and protect the new life. And as before, the growth of the new life is is not done by the mother. The mother is a vessel to help, but it is by God. So I try to feed Lily all the good food that I can and, and teach her well, but, but I don't make her bones grow. I don't make her hair grow or her teeth grow. That is the work of God. It is a miracle of God. And so it is with the church. We continue to feed and nurture and protect the lives of God's children, but it is but it is not us who make other people grow. It is the work of the Spirit that does this miraculous growth. Okay, so if all of this has felt like heavy theological trudging, I'm going to, to get real practical here. What's our response to all of this? That, that God bursts us, that it is the Spirit of God who bursts us and through the church. What does this mean for us practically speaking? So there are two responses. One is for our own life of discipleship, and the second is for how we disciple others. So first, for our spiritual lives, it's, it's important to remember that our primary status is as children of God. To remember that our life in Christ is a gift of God, that we have been born of God. It's not anything we've earned. It's the Spirit who has birthed us into the kingdom. And this means that when we make profession of faith or... It's not something we're, we're achieving. We're merely professing this life that God has given us. 
And it's important for us to remember in all of our conversations that the Spirit works in a variety of ways. The Spirit of God blows where it will. And this should bring us to a place of delight and wonder as we watch the variety of people and the variety of ways in which the Spirit brings people into the kingdom. That should be a reason for celebration. For some, the Spirit's going to evoke faith in a person when they're really small. For others, when they are old. For some, it will happen before their baptism. For some, it might happen after this evoking of faith. There's no one-size-fits-all experience. The one element that is always the same, however, is that it is God's Spirit that is giving life. And that is what we celebrate. God at work. God is at work in the world in a multitude of ways. It's also important for us to remember that no matter our age or stage in the Christian life, we still desperately need our mother, the church. So there's this really dangerous shift in our culture right now toward an individualistic Christianity to say that we can do the Christian life on our own. But friends, that is just about as dangerous as putting a newborn baby on the sidewalk or telling a toddler, just figure out how to feed yourself and figure out this world by on your own. That's really dangerous. Friends, we are all still children. No matter our our age or stage, we still need the protection and nurture and guidance of the church from other Christians, from preaching, from the sacraments, through everything that God has instituted through God's people. We need the nurture of the church. So we can't just do it on our own. So that's for our, for our own, own lives. And then as we think about our relationships with others, as we want to disciple others, it's important to remember that, that we are the church. We need to be fed by the church, but we are also the church. So we are the vessel that God has chosen to work through, to form life, to grow life, to guide life. We are called, we are the ones who are called to feed and protect and nurture God's children wherever they are, whether they're in utero, haven't yet been born into the light, and God's just working on them in those early stages, or maybe they've been in this world for a while and they're exploring the kingdom of God. They need nurture and guidance for what all of this might mean. All of us, all of us are God's children who are in need of our mother, the church. And as we disciple others, it's important to remember that it's not all up to us. We can release some of the anxiety. Some of us feel a lot of pressure to do just the right thing, to to say just the right thing. And if we do something wrong, then we think we've blown it for someone, that that's, that's the last chance. But friends, remember, this is God's work. This is the spirit who is at work in them. There are no perfect mothers. I'm learning that very quickly. No matter how hard you try, there are no perfect mothers. Friends, there are no perfect churches. There are no perfect Christians. We're going to mess up. But as we rely on God and allow God to work through us, God does amazing things. None of you have perfect mothers. And look, you are here alive, a grown adult. That's amazing, right? God works through very ordinary people, very ordinary things to do his very miraculous work. So friends, let us rejoice. Let us give thanks that God has chosen to work through us, the church, 
to do his perfect work. The most miraculous work ever known, which is the creation, birth, and growth of new life in Christ. Eternal life in the kingdom of God, now and forevermore. And all of this is because God so loved the world that God gave his one and only son. What incredible news this is. Let's pray. God, thank you for the work that you do through the Spirit informing new life, life in the kingdom of God. Wherever we are in the journey, we pray that your Spirit would be guiding us, that we would lean into the mother, the church, that we would be open to all that you have, the, the growth and exploration and the evangelism that you want to do in and through us. Thank you most of all for your son that has made this new life possible. He receives all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.